Welcome to Rainbow Colored Glasses, a podcast that looks at LGBTQ cinema of the past and asks what it means today. I'm Paul. My guests are Nick and Sherry, and we are discussing the 1961 film The Children's Hour. I'm giving a spoiler warning and a trigger warning because the story includes an act of suicide. The Children's Hour is set at a girls' boarding school. An angry student falsely accuses her school's headmistresses, Karen Wright and Martha Doby, of having a lesbian relationship. The lie destroys the lives of everyone involved. The story had a rocky road to the screen. The real-life scandal occurred in 1810. Lillian Hellman adapted it to the stage in 1934. William Wilder directed a censored film in 1936. There, Martha was accused of heterosexual adultery. Wilder was unhappy with those compromises, so 25 years later, he produced and directed a remake that was faithful to the play. Shirley MacLaine played Martha, Audrey Hepburn played Karen, and James Garner played Karen's fiancé, Joe. The actress Miriam Hopkins, who had played Martha in the 1936 film, was brought back for the remake to play Martha's Aunt Lily. Some critics praised the film, calling it a sharp rebuke of McCarthyism. Others criticized the film's discussion of sexuality, judging it anywhere from timid to outright homophobic. Sherry, was this your first time seeing the film? Yes. What were some first impressions? Oh, oh I thought it was brilliant. I, I, I uh, <laughs> just summing up my comments. William, first thing, William Wilder, the director, um, brilliantly works with actors, um, and um, I loved, I loved how he staged compositions, the spacing amongst actors and the environment in particular, um, the compositions I loved, and as I said before, I, I felt like there were some really great performances in this film absolutely and nick what were some of your thoughts i i will agree with with sherry i taking like the context out this play to me this movie to me was a perfectly satisfying film and i mean that no that may sound rough i mean that because everything is wrapped up kind of like a nice bow for me where i'm going to compare it to like say doubt and other movies where you you don't really know what the priest did in doubt. This one, we knew everything. Everything was there. It was all laid out at the end. And I was just extremely satisfied that I didn't have to leave wondering, did it happen? Did it not happen? What was she thinking? Is that little kid ever going to get caught? So extremely satisfying. Well, Audrey Hepburn and Shirley MacLaine play these two teachers. They are single women. They are running a business together. And that is enough to be suspicious in 1934 and apparently 1961 because that seems to be where the film is set uh what is uh what do we learn about the relationship between these two well i would say they they've known each other since they were 17 um it is a bona fide intimate friendship they you know certainly going above and beyond i mean running a business together is is really something a testament to their relationship and um i kind of feel i kind of get a sense that um their physical affection to them was probably i feel much more than before the word came out and then they started censoring themselves but i think i kind of had a feeling they they were much more they had more freedom of of a 
or more physical, um, of a, it, they were able to, you know, express their intimacy. Um, mm. I thought they were, they, the characters really complemented each other well, almost like a perfect couple and a perfect business couple where Shirley being a little more stern with the children and kind of the, you know, I'd running the, the day-to-day where Audrey was more of the kinder one, um, you know, still a little stern with the kids, but just, I thought, that, I thought they just freaked out. So it worked well what Trey was saying with their past relationship being so strong, but also why they had a successful business and why they worked so well together and how they both sacrificed to have that business happen with Audrey delaying her, her engagement for so long. So Audrey Hepburn is engaged to James Garner and she says she's been delaying the marriage until she gets gets the business on its feet. What do we make of their relationship? You know, it, it was weird. At, it's, it's striking at first, like his, well, the way he came in and he, you know, he kind of was like a brother to Shirley, eating the food there, going off. And they clearly had a long history that he's this guy who does that. And I don't know if it was chemistry between them or the acting choices or that they maybe had been engaged. They weren't like a lovey-dovey kind of couple. But Audrey was like super sweet. But even like when they were driving in the car, it took me a minute to, to really get in what they, what they were. I'm like, well, what are these two? Because I mean, to be honest, when the movie started, I just, you know, I know what this podcast is about. I just kind of assumed that those two were together, that they were lovers. And this was just Joe who comes over and they called him Cousin Joe. And then until they were like riding the car, she's like, let's make a baby in 12 months. I was like, whoa, okay. Didn't, didn't see that. <laughs> she was almost more like a mother to him. Uh, that's how I took that. So they had a, a, certainly an interesting relationship. It seemed to me part of it, I don't know if it was because 1961 or the branding of Audrey Hepburn or what have you, but I felt like I was being hammered over the head about this is a heterosexual couple. What I mean by that is there's a lot of kissing, just kind of report, um, supporting what Nick said, like, I want a baby, I want a baby. You know, it's, you know, bam, bam, heterosexual, 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 you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I get it, you know, but, um, but no homo. Seen, yeah, no homo. There's no homo here. No homo. We're taking the homo away. There's no homo in this car. Uh, kissy 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 you know I'm like okay I got it <laughs> I got it yeah but there seemed to be uh, I, I think with the language a bit of a double standard like with Audrey there is something oh there's something a bit wrong with her postponing this engagement for two years there's something not right about that and then with James Gardner's character well we never know but it didn't seem like he was being pressured, you know, where he's not being pressured to get married. If, if there's any kind of pressure, it's himself, or I don't know if he, it didn't seem like he's getting that kind of pressure from work or whatever. Or so I kind of noticed that from the language. I think the construction of the play does a good job spreading the blame for the scandal among several people because Mary the first kid tells the lie. Her grandmother believes her and spreads it to the other parents who pull their kids out of the school. Then 
Rosalie, the little girl who's a thief, gets blackmailed into backing the lie up, going along with Mary. But then Aunt Lily, the actress, spreads gossip herself and then refuses to come to the trial. What do we think about Mary? Lillian Hellman said she didn't want Mary to just be seen as a villain. But I'm not sure if she succeeds. I'm not sure Mary's a very psychologically complex character. What do we think <laughs> about that? Yeah, I don't. She's, I mean, just the casting alone that to, to get a little a young actress to have this menacing type of face. And she had a lot of close ups. And that was something to her. I don't know. I didn't, I don't know. I was trying to pick up on when Mary was reading something. I, I wasn't that sure that she was that innocent that she didn't know what she was doing saying this I don't, I, that one scene she was reading with like a flashlight and that seemed like something she wasn't supposed to be reading and she maybe she picked up on that but and then as a parent it was like interesting watching this because maybe i, I like that it wasn't her parents i guess it was the niece i don't know if i could tell i have nieces and nephews i don't know if i'm at, i'm close enough to them to know when they're lying but my own kids you know, something ha- I feel like I know him enough where I could tell if I was in a situation like you didn't see nothing, you're lying. So I, I that hopefully that was a deliberate choice to make it an aunt. She seemed like an older grandmother almost. Yes, her grandmother. Grandmother, sorry. Okay, yeah, that the grandmother didn't know, but I don't know. That kid was so vicious and vile to me that how could that scene was also frustrating? Like, how could they not know that this girl constantly does these lies? that she does these things and that she's clearly has gotten trouble all the time. Like all right, this one kid, we have to double verify anything she says, but she kind of got a pass maybe because it was so controversial when she brought up. Yeah. I have to agree. I, I would say that was one of the kind of like the one weakness I felt in the film amidst all these great performances. I didn't care for the actress who played Mary. I felt like there was a bit of overacting going on or, something very um cardboardy about it um because the thing is is when they're in the car i want i want me being selfish what i wanted to experience was that when the girl is trying to convince her grandmother about this thing that i wanted to be taken for a ride as well like i wanted this little girl to be very convincing because i felt like the grandmother regardless of whether she knew her really well, Nick, like what you're saying about how you know your kids very well or not. The thing about the grandmother, she strikes me as, a, as an intelligent woman. And I felt like you got to make me believe that this intelligent woman is really going to buy what this little, little girl is selling her. And, and, and that was the thing that was the one thing about that car scene that bothered me that I, I, it was to me, I, I couldn't believe it, you know, that it didn't really play to the grandmother's intelligence. And I feel like if there was a different kind of direction with that little girl, I don't know, like maybe a little bit more nuanced or. But I wonder because of where it was placed that you knew that we knew she's lying. Or yeah. unlike, I think, Pat, Patrick Shanley, whoever wrote Doubt. Yeah, you know, he took elements of this and was like, "All right, that doesn't work. We need to make some element of mystery." Like, we ha- we hated that girl the moment we met her. She was eating the cookies, being a brat at the place, 
So she had such a hill to climb and we knew it wasn't true. Like whatever she was yeah. saying, we saw that scene. We saw right. her kiss her on the cheek. So I'm like, she was never going to convince us. So yeah, mm-hmm. fault of the acting, the fault of the play itself. But but yes, but I would say in the same lines of like like Richard III, say, you know, that that's what I'm trying to hint at. Like Richard III, menacing, tells the audience, Ooh, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna make love to Princess Anne. And then you see it. And then you go for the ride because it's so convincing. And he convinces Princess Anne and, and all that. So mm, I like that. That's I think that's what I I'm see where you're going. I, I wish oh, I, yeah. I, I wish I could have seen that a little bit. That, that's the one thing I, I missed from that. Mm-hmm. The children's hour has a controversial ending there are a series of tragic events that take place quick bam 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 in a row first audrey hepburn breaks off her engagement to james garner then shirley mclean confesses it's true i loved you like they said i feel so dirty i'm so sorry and then shirley mclean goes upstairs and hangs herself Mm. and audrey is silent for the rest of the film except for a few words she speaks at the funeral is this ending homophobic part of me says my initial feeling is no because okay so back again is it's a reflection of the environment it's a reflection of well depending on how you look at it yeah 1961 film you know you know i say this because I know, Paul, like from early, from our earlier conversations, I remember you saying, you know, I'm tired of seeing stories about queer people killing themselves. Okay. And I, I get it. I get it. But I still think that in stories that can still be a valid choice, uh, a valid plot device, as well as other choices, you know, living happily ever after, or they survive or blah, 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 blah. But I think with the, the suicide, I think I feel like it's important for two things. One, it, I feel like it really does emphasize the fact about how this lie had destroyed their lives. Right. If you didn't quite catch the earlier story about the, when the two women were together talking about how they feel like pariahs and how they're they're looking outside and they see the red net truck people looking at them and they don't, they don't feel safe going outside of their compound. It's almost like people, if you don't, if you didn't catch this conversation, you didn't quite catch the truck people outside, then, then look at this, you know, it actually caused somebody to kill themselves because they felt like they had no place, no other place to go. So I think in that regard, I feel like it's the suicide is an important choice. You know, and then again, I would say like with Shirley MacLaine, like her whole, I've read other things, like they say her whole diatribe of like, I feel sinful or I feel dirty or all that. Some people say, hey, that's a cliche or, you know, why, why, why are we hearing this again? Or why is it going down that route? But that's one train of thought. Or another train of thought is the fact that this woman never had the language of queer. Like this woman didn't even know really the word until she heard the word. And she's alone. She has she has no face. You know, she doesn't know what life as queer is like. So where where does she go with this? I mean, 
in the midst of this, once again, toxic environment that she lives in. So that's my thought from the desk of Sherry Laguerre. <laughs> I would say, I, I think I would say it is homophobic in the sense that there's nothing, there's no light at, at the end of any of these tunnels. If I was a person showing this to say, say if I was some, if I was one of those redneck boys in the back of the truck and one of my nephews could be gay and I show him this movie, I'm like, see, see what has, is it really worth it? All this stuff, you know, you know granted he thinks, if he thinks homosexuality is a choice. So it, and even her silence and even her leaving Joe, if you, that the root of that is you thought for a second that I was that you're out. And Interesting. the, this woman here, her coming to realization, this is who I am. I'm killing myself. I just realized I, it's, I just said it out loud. Now somebody else knows I'm done. And her having minimal reaction and just doing her piece and walking away. So, you know what? Maybe she is better off, whatever. She was that. This is what it is. Go to bed. She could have left in the morning. Who knows what was going to happen to her? She was going for that walk. Maybe she was leaving. She went out the door and then she turned back when the woman said, had you seen her? Maybe she was just like, I'm out of here. So I don't know. It doesn't paint the best light for homosexuality. So I, I had to pick, I think I would say probably homophobic. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's, it's Those are two very valid arguments because she's given a few other options. They say, well, Dr. Joe says we'll leave town. I'll get an, I'll get work someplace else and I'll support you both until we're all on our feet. And Audrey Hepburn says no and sends him away. And then Audrey says, we can still go someplace together. And mm-hmm. she says, it's the closest they get to talking about the issue. Uh, Audrey Hepburn says, this isn't a new sin. There must be some place we can go where people won't care. And Shirley says, but those... They chose but it. There are people who believe in it. Believe in it. I forget. Yeah, you're right. It's something like the people who believe in it, who are, there are people who are this, who believe in this. It must be different for them. Mm-hmm. So that's mm. the closest they get to acknowledging that there are stable homosexual people who do not kill themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, right. Mm. right. The lepers. But I think that, you know, part of, um, Part of Shirley MacLaine's confusion in the monologue is, well, she said, you know, where she says, um, I never felt that way about anybody but you, about specifically Audrey Hepburn, which, which, okay, and, and Paul may enlighten me about this, but I would think that sometimes, okay, if you're young or you're coming out or you're having a realization about your queerness that, you know, you're starting I mean, I don't know, you're having an attraction for many women, right? And, or, you know, me being hetero, you know, oh, this guy's good looking, this guy's good looking, you know, you maybe start fantasizing about these guys, okay, I'm just, so, so I'm just, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that Shirley's saying, maybe the point of the confusion is she only felt that way about one woman, not many, so maybe that's why she never thought that she could be a lesbian for for those many years until a little girl just speaks those names says that name right and then she starts reflecting on her relationship with her friend 
So I thought that was very unique where Shirley MacLaine was coming from compared to, I'm gonna say maybe a general, a general coming out, like a general reala a realization of one's queerness. So, which makes it interesting, I feel. Well, Shirley MacLaine is, is speaking dialogue from a play written in 1934. Yeah. And back in the Hayes Code days, if someone was, quote, a sinner, end quote, they had to be punished or removed from the story by the end. So a negative argument would be that a censor would want the lesbian character to die so that the straight character would be free of her. And this Ooh. was very common in um, a lot of old cinema with queer coded characters. It was very common in lesbian pulp novels, the idea that the the straight friend or the questioning person can't be free until the corrupting influence is destroyed. And I recently watched another film from the 30s, Dracula's Daughter, where she's literally a lesbian vampire preying on young maidens. <laughs> and I think they try very hard to make Shirley MacLaine's character sympathetic. But at the same time, there is also a sense some audiences would have gotten that, well, that was the only choice left to her, poor thing. That she's, she's put through the ringer. And that's how she and that's how she responds to it. Interesting wrinkle: the Children's Hour is getting another remake. Oh, Oops. there's going there's going to be a mini series that lifts material from the actual libel trial from the the real the real world case. Oh wow! Would you recommend this film today? Yes, I would absolutely. As I said before, the, the, the directing the fine performances um yeah and i think just to honor what you say i mean keep it in context for the time period that it, it's in yeah you know it's I, I, because i think there are some I, some ideas in this play that are unfortunately still universal i mean one of them is um um libel i mean we're dealing with libel and misinformation and scandal and um, unfortunately that still happens and and uh yeah the mm. and, and kids can be mean yeah let's just put that Let's just put that on the table right here and right now. Nasty kids. Mm. <laughs> she was nasty. I, I don't know. If it's in different kind. It would depend on the context of when I would recommend this film. I certainly enjoyed for like, you know, for your podcast type of stuff. I enjoyed victim a lot, a lot more. And I thought it said a lot more, but in like, you know, to be corny, but for like an Audrey Hepburn, enthusiasts or something that I don't think a lot of people watch this one when they think of her, I would, I would recommend for that. And yeah, I'm aiming to see that scene again. This is just, just, just sad. It's really sad to me now. Just how disgusted she was because she was just expressing her feelings. Is this really sad to me right now? So I don't know. I'm not the most uplifting movie. So okay. It'd be a hard, hard yeah. one to recommend. Well, I agree. If you're a fan of Shirley MacLaine or, Audrey Hepburn, not so much James Garner. He doesn't do much here, but it's a it's an interesting film to look at from where it sits in their careers, from where it sits in Weiler's career. If he'd won a couple of Oscars by that point, he could get away with making the film he wasn't allowed to make in the 1930s. And yeah, it was it was interesting going back and watching this again and seeing 
and being able to admire it a little more and not just see it as one critic called it oh that's the dead lesbian movie be able to see no there's there's more to it than that there's there's the mccarthy yes politics oh, yeah. and other mm-hmm. things going on there and i'm still just very happy that we know what happened and maybe it just makes me hate doubt but sometimes you know just that that leaving a movie there and having a discussing and fighting over it i don't like that one that's when we came out we knew we knew everything they told us and i thank them oh that's interesting <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> Too much ambiguity and doubt. Too much doubt. Ambiguity. Too much ambiguity. Yeah, doubt kills me. (laughs) It gets me so angry. I'm like, we just don't know. I'm like, you can't fight about it because we literally don't know. There's no cameras, nothing to tell us. This one told us. Well, we are out of time, but it's been so good talking with you both. Thank you both so much for participating. Nice seeing you. This was great. Thank you for listening to Rainbow Colored Glasses. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Glasses Rainbow. The music you're listening to is Squares, licensed under Creative Commons. If you like us, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We'll see you next time.